Welcome to our podcast, Voices of Color. So, we finally reached our first milestone, episode 5. Today, instead of covering cases like we normally do, we're going to do something different. Uh, Anna's going to lean on to that. So, we are going over why this podcast is important. Why we feel the need to bring more attention to it. Um, two cases of people of color and the biggest part of that is how media portrays people of color whether it is that you are Asian black indigenous or um, Latino or Hispanic what basically Anna is trying to say is you know I'm not trying to mansplain what Anna is saying but I'm just trying to reiterate the point that media has a big responsibility to the case not only to the people and not trans and the news but also to the victims of these cases and a lot of the times the people of color that are in minority do not get the same voice and representation by media that a person that a, a white person would basically get i'm not anti-white i'm always going to be pro-victim but like at the same point my whole issue is we want to have the same awareness for people of color too because they are also the victims and they also need justice and to reiterate media plays a big part in how our society works how people perceive themselves how the new trends get set how people dress you know how we perceive certain celebrities but media also have a big part to play in criminal justice system and criminal justice reform a lot of the criminal justice reform in recent years have happened because of the media to media's credit but at the same time i feel like media portrays our white counterparts more favorably than people of color and i feel it's just my opinion and i honestly feel you know people of color especially the victims of crimes need the same representation as a white girl would so a lot of the times people of color or children of color that are reported missing are classified as runaways um there's actually a trend on tiktok where many indigenous women are using a sound that says if i go missing if i'm coming home from the grocery store and i don't come back don't let them label me as a runaway because I wouldn't want to just leave my family. And I feel like that speaks volumes that people feel so profoundly that they have to make these videos for their families, for their friends, or whoever is following them on social media. We live in a town where the crime rates are really, really low. So, you know, a lot of times we get used to just living in a world where, you know, crimes do not exist. But that's just not true. These native women live in America and they're struggling. And if they have to go on social media and be like, hey, if I go missing, I'm not a runaway, that says that there's a bigger problem. I know the police departments are oftentimes bombarded with reports and they have a lot of work to do and they are undermanned. I understand and sympathize with them. 
but at the same time you know victims always come first and you know you should not just label somebody a runaway because it would be easy to just clear out your case just my opinion but you know that's how i feel and missing persons cases that involve people of color in the u.s are less likely to be solved compared to cases involving white people with people of color it is disproportionately underrepresented in national coverage and mainstream media than a white person and their stories. Do you know any statistics on that by any chance? I'm gonna get there. Alright, cowboy. For the U.S. Census, um, people who are reported as being one race only for black people, it's 13.4% of the population. For indigenous people, it's 1.3% of the population. For Asians, it is 5.9%. And for people who are white, it's 76.3%. But here's the thing about the white population is due to a case where Mexicans were trying to fight for their right to receive white privilege, so to speak, they are now included in the census as white people. So if they mark themselves as Hispanic or Latino, they're automatically in the system white. Okay, so my question is like, is that with all, all the Hispanics or just the Mexicans? That is all anybody who marks Hispanic. A great example, when I was in elementary school, my parents had to fight for me to be labeled as multi-ethnic. Okay. Because the moment that they put multiple ethnicities, I was automatically put in the system as white, which clearly I am not. And there are many cases where this happens, where the moment that somebody puts they are X, 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 they are automatically put as white. I know it's a complicated system and it's a really hard job to do, but at the same time, you know, we have to do a better job as a census. And when we're looking at specifics of women, especially black women. They only make up 7% of the population, mm -hmm. but they are also one of the largest groups that go missing or murdered. The same thing with indigenous women. There's an old saying. I would love to hear from you guys who is it from so I can give the proper credit. But it, it is said like black women suffer most, black and indigenous women suffer the most in this country. They suffer within their own race, they suffer from, pe from people outside race. They go through a lot, a lot of injustices, a lot of social hierarchy from them, them to climb. So, Natalie Wilson, who is the co-founder and director of the Public Relations for Black and Missing Foundation, she stated, if you're classifi classified as a runaway, you don't receive the Amber Alert and any type of media coverage. Mm -hmm. She also stated, and the awareness is key to finding missing people. Mm -hmm. So if people aren't aware of it, they're not going to try to help find them or send in any information. Yeah, like, you know, like you send a cavalry when you think that there's something wrong. If people don't even know somebody's missing, how can they be looking for, you know? And. For people of color, they are often deemed of being involved in criminal activity, therefore they are deemed not worthy enough to be found. An example of this is there were at least 11 women 
that their families had reached out to law enforcement and were trying to get them the justice that they needed, trying to find them, trying to get answers as to where their family members went. Were they women of color? Yes. Okay. And what did law enforcement tell them? That they were on drugs or they ran away. And so they didn't get the attention that they deserved. And then in 2009, 11 bodies were found on the property of Anthony Sowell in Cleveland, Ohio. These are the same women that were told that they were druggies and runaways. He might have been targeting druggies and runaways, but at the same point, you know, those are humans too. Those deserve justice. Those voices deserve justices too. You see, I think one of the best representations that I saw in terms of a TV show was um, Law and Order LA, mm-hmm. where all of these women, there were I think at least 14, I think it might have been loosely based on this case, mm-hmm. where they were told by officers, oh, they ran away, oh, they're sex workers, so you know, they'll, they wanted their whatever, get away from family. And they ended up finding out that it was a serial killer. Just to get back to this point, you know, like, I've, I've been in America for like last 12 years. I love America. And but you can love something, but you can still point out that there are some things that are wrong with it, right? Racism is a really hard topic to discuss in America. Like, this is going to touch some nerves. We're not saying you're white, you're racist. But like, for example, there was a survey done, and I will try to find the survey. But 40% of uh, white doctors thought that black people can, or people of color, especially black people, can endure more pain than, you know, their white counterparts. That's just a myth. And these are medical professionals that are going to be treating the next generation. So racism also, you know, just not happens just with the social media, you know, it just doesn't happen in the news, but it also happens in medical professionals and, you know, how people get treated. So just because, you know, our favorite celebrities are black and they are on TV, they're getting, you know, representation, does not mean the people that are not famous are getting the same representation. When a person of color disappears, people get the assumption that they must have done something to deserve it. And that was something that the founder of the Charlie Project, Megan Good, had stated. But it's also something that is especially common when black men go missing. It's just a social prejudice, you know, like why not treat them the same? So I want to briefly touch on, without going into extreme detail, um, Elizabeth Smart. And Elizabeth Smart went missing in 2002. She was, a four, I believe she was 14 years old, and she was kidnapped and held captive for nine months. Is that happening in Utah? Yeah. I read about it. He was in India at the time. Yeah. Anyways, um, this is where wealth and social status play a key role in missing people. Her father was able to hire a PR representative to get the word out about her. And so within nine months, somebody had recognized her on the streets and had tipped off who she was with because they were wanted people. 
mm-hmm. and she was able to be brought home to her family. Basically, she was rescued, you know. She was rescued from her captors. So, not to cut Anna, but like, if we don't even know that people are going missing, how are we going to be able to rescue the people of color? A lot of times when, you know, a lot of the times when police departments are just labeling people as runaways and, you know, run up a lot of times when, a lot of times when police departments are labeling people as runaway junkies, it does not help the cause. It does not help raising awareness to find people. About four times longer than the average case of somebody who is white or Hispanic. That is how long somebody who is African American, that's their case is going to stay open that much longer than somebody who is white or Hispanic. That. And this is according to a study that was done by the College of William and Mary in 2019. It showed four times longer these cases were open. And they stated that this is even after observations. A lot of the studies that were looking into what was going on with the disparity between people of color and white, a lot of them say that even after they were done with their observation period, these cases were still unsolved. In 2018, the US National Library of Medicine and the National Institute of Health stated that because they stay open longer periods, that means that there's more time where if they are alive, they're not able to find them in time. Yeah. And one thing that I found interesting about their case is that they gave more media attention to missing white girls and it may have aided in their search efforts as well as they would put white boys over people of color as well. Who, who is they? Law enforcement. Okay. So a lot of it is that white girls have a higher chance oh. of being found than boys and then people of color. To me, victims are victims. White victims deserve justice as as much as you know people of color to me victims deserve justice period so all i'm asking for is a world where everybody gets the same justice and justice is not justice not being partial to just white people co-director of the maynard institute of journalism Education, which is a nonprofit organization, um, Martin Reynolds said that the problem with how news organizations cover missing people stems from a long-term systemic approach in coverage covering communities of color. He stated, in order to fix this, it requires deep soul-searching assessment on the part of the news organization. When an organization's coverage of people of color hovers around only crime and violence or people of color being impoverished, negative addictions or um, navigating addictions or being a drain on society, subconsciously there is a devaluation 
that emerges. The urgency and value on people of color is not there when they go missing. A lot of the times the cases that media covers is up to their discretion. They chose white cases for ratings or personal benefit. You know, a lot of the times media chooses the case. A lot of the times it is in media's discretion the cases they choose. More often than not, not having fair representation in, you know, media. One other thing um, that Reynolds pointed out was if we're not saying why this matters to us as news organizations, to our society, and to our communities, we are not going to come up with solutions that often stick. Mm -hmm. So if we're not expressing why it's important to cover these cases, then the news organization isn't going to want to do anything about it. Exactly. Like, to the whole point, if you're white and you're listening to this podcast, we do not want you to feel guilty about being white. We do not want you to feel guilty about anything. We just want a fair representation for people of color, too. Natalie Wilson, um, who I had mentioned earlier, um, she said that it takes all of us, law enforcement, the community, as well as the media, to bring awareness to our missing and to help us find them. We all play an important role, and oftentimes these missing individuals are faceless and voiceless. They are just a statistics to a lot of times law enforcement. She went on to add that we need to remember that these are mothers and fathers, sisters and brothers, grandparents, cousins, friends, neighbors that are missing, and they deserve to be found or their families deserve closure for what happened to them. When it comes to indigenous people, they are murdered at rates 10 times the national average. And keep in mind, indigenous people make up a very small percentage of the population. So that's a huge thing if they're making up 10 times the murder rate. I know this is a hard conversation to have, but a lot of times when I have discussed this with, you know, my white friends, they have always been like, oh, there's like a drug problem or, you know, crime problem. But we got to understand that they are humans too. They're struggling. And instead of, you know, just labeling them as a junkie or a druggie, we should be more compassionate and we should still find justice for these people. A big part of this is tribal police being under-resourced or not being equipped well enough to cover these cases. Yes and no to that, and I'll get to that in a moment. Okay. A great statistic is looking at Wyoming. Indigenous people make up 3% of their population. So, three times the national average. Yes. There's not many things going on. (laughs) Sorry, that was rude. Anyway. We're going to be hated there. (laughs) Um, But they also make up 21% of the homicide victims within the last decade. Between 2011 and 2010, there were... Let me just ask you this. Like, the the people, the indigenous people in Wyoming make 
21 percent of the homicide cases all over the state yes all, all over the country all because, over the state okay but in 2011 to 2020 i was about to say 22 um there were 710 indigenous people reported missing just in wyoming um you know just a shout out to there's a documentary also done on it it's i think called missing 411 if you guys have time to check it out it talks about a lot of the issues that we are covering in the podcast it goes very well in depth with it so abigail echo hawk is the chief research officer for the seattle indian health board and the director of the urban indian health institute during an interview with PBS NewsHour, she said that this isn't something that is new, that's happened within the past five years, 20 years, it's been happening for hundreds of years. Despite knowing this within our communities and having stories, we see underreporting for them in the data. So they look at the data that is out there and they're able to see what is going on versus, you know, what we see. Are you talking about law enforcement right now or are you talking about the reporters? So this is the, their whole thing is to research into the data that is coming in from police departments. Okay, you keep saying they and you mentioned multiple people. No, this is one thing. This So she's the director okay. of one facility that's the urban indian health institute and she's the chief research officer for the seattle indian health board okay so she runs two different things Mm -hmm. and the data that they're finding between these two institutes is showing that there's underreporting and the reason why there's underreporting is one a lot of the times when people get reported as missing they are not reported their ethnicity or their race and it automatically goes to white and if they don't ask them what their ethnicity is they just look at them and then they put oh they're white there are a lot of different skin colors that can be for indigenous people and most people think when they look at me they're like oh indigenous whereas there are very fair-skinned indigenous people uh my question for that would be like to play the devil's advocate for law enforcement right now wouldn't that mean that their cases would be open four and a half times longer and they would get more resources not saying that's how it should be but you know as a victim I no, this is saying that they don't have the data to be able to see the success rates of these cases and people being found because they are mislabeled I think a lot of this mislabeling also comes from, you know, the prejudice that is, you know, set in society as a whole, you know, like we do not want to show black excellence. We do not want to show indigenous excellence. We do not want to show Asian excellence. You know, they exist. One thing that going back to my parents fighting for me to be you know labeled correctly in the system Mm -hmm. that's something that native families fight for a lot too especially with the younger 
A lot of people, especially in the indigenous community, have faced when they're going to report their family members missing is that law enforcement will tell them, maybe they ran away. Was she out drinking? Does she do sex work? These are questions that they are asked repeatedly. To play the devil's advocate, if you are in a law enforcement, can you reach out to us and let us know? Is it is the procedure same for you know white people? Do you guys ask the same questions? There are prejudices and stereotypes against indigenous people and people of color. This can lead to underreporting because nobody is listening to those communities. Within, and so this is going back to that where you were talking about tribal police. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit different on tribal land because they're sovereign nations. Yeah. So what ends up happening is, is this a tribal police thing? Is this an FBI thing? Is this Homeland Security? You know, well, all of the federal organizations. A lot of the times cases get complicated by bureaucracy. If the body's found on, if it's a native woman's body found on a normal land, they play bureaucracy who gets to cover this case. Yes, that's, so, it's, it's something that no other places across this country will ever experience. So, you know, like, so perpetrators over the years have got smart and they have noticed that, you know, there are loopholes in the system and they keep exploiting these loopholes in Native American communities. Cannot talk about black communities, n- not that, you know, if it's the same thing, but why more Native women go missing and why these cases don't get solved? A lot has to do with the bureaucracy and the cases being thrown back and forth between different law enforcement. So going all the way back to Cozy, um, Decora, mm-hmm. there. I had mentioned that there was a act that was put in place initially, and it expired in 2018. That mm-hmm. prevented um, people who are non-indigenous but perpetrate crimes on indigenous lands, such mm-hmm. as murdering of an indigenous woman, where they are able to walk free. So that act needs to be re-ratified so then they can be able to prosecute those people because, again, it's sovereign land. So the rules are different. It's based on, you know, do they have the jurisdiction to prosecute somebody who is Mm non-Indigenous? And they don't. And sometimes it is like tribal police cannot go on a normal land to arrest someone. You know, like if you commit a crime on tribal land and you run away, then they have to communicate with the, they have to first locate you, then let the police departments know to arrest you. And a lot of the times the communication break down. During the interview, um, Abigail had mentioned that she had worked with a Native family for three days. Abigail is a head of the research committee? Yes. Okay. She had worked with a Native family for three days to find out who in law enforcement had jurisdiction. And that was three days that nobody was searching for their loved one. And, you know, we're, I'm a big fan of the show Crime Junkie, podcast Crime Junkie. A lot of you might have heard about that. There's another show I'm a really big fan of, is First 48. It talks about, you know, 
if the missing pay, a lot of the missing people cases, first 48 hours are very important. And the survival rates go down drastically if the police doesn't act for 48 hours. Going to 72 hours and no action, you know, the chances of survival go really, become really, really grim. There was another report that they did in 2018 um, that showed there is a high rate of sexual violence against American Indian and Alaskan Natives. And this is looking specifically at the city of Seattle. Out of the 94% of the people that they had spoken to, 94% of them were sexually assaulted. So out of all of the people that they had spoken to, the ones who had faced any type of injustice to them, 94% of them, so the entirety that they looked at, had experienced sexual assault. Entirety of the... The, the data that they were looking at and the people that they had spoken to. Entirety of the, you know, the people, the native people they covered? Yes. Okay. Out of that 94%, only 8% of them saw conviction of their rapist within the justice system. That's also a very scary statistic to me. You know, a father of a son, so, but it shouldn't matter, honestly. But at the same time, my whole point was like if 94% is a very big sample size. Yes. And if, you know, 94% of women are facing some kind of sexual harassment or sexual assault, only 8% are getting convicted, it discourages victims to come out. It discourages victim to, victims to look for justice because, you know, their names get dragged through the mud. They have to face the accusers in court. A lot of the times they have to, you know, take the stand and relive that trauma. 8% is a really, really low prosecution rate. I have a question. What? Do you know out of how many people, like how many women that you've come in contact, do you know how many of them, to your knowledge, like if you had to guess what the percentage of that have actually experienced sexual uh, harassment or sexual assault? I think it was like one out of three women and one out of four men. Or is it two out of three women and one out of three men? It's something. It's one in four women that you have come in contact with have experienced sexual assault. That, and living in a modern day America, that is a terrible statistic. So imagine the statistics for people of color and how much higher it is. When you're thinking about with the general population, one in four women, and then you look at women of color, that's staggering. Crime, crimes going on unreported, you know, a lot of them being they being discouraged by their family to come out against because you know families don't want their name run through the mud. And it's not so much that families don't want their name run through the mud; it's that there's this huge issue where if it's somebody of color, they'll look and be like, it's like that same thing that I mentioned earlier, where they said, "What did you do to deserve this?" So it's blaming the victims for the actions that happened to them when it is not their fault. To, to a disclaimer, a woman can wear whatever she wants. She doesn't deserve to get raped. Men should have control over their actions. 
just like a man should wear whatever he wants and he can walk wherever he wants women should have the same right and shouldn't be worried in 20 22nd century that they are gonna get assaulted just the way how i look at things we're in the 21st century i know that this is something that you wanted to talk about um there is this term that was coined by social scientists as well as by uh, media commentators called missing white women syndrome i really thought that was just like labia for joke no it's a thing (laughs) (laughs) Um, and it's referring to coverage especially in television of missing person cases involving young white upper middle class women or girls more than women who are not white women of lower social classes and missing men or boys. This is seen in countries that are predominantly white, such as the US, Canada, the UK, just to name a few. But a great example of this is Gabby Petito and how her case got a whole lot more traction than Jelani Day and Daniel Robinson, who had been missing longer than she was. Anna's not trying to say that Gabby Petito did not deserve justice. She did. And what, what happened to her was a tragedy, and we do not want to take nothing away from that. But at the same token, we want Jelani Day to get justice, so did the other victims. Daniel Robinson. We want Jelani and people like, we want people like Jelani Day and Daniel Robinson to get their justices too. One good thing that came out of Gabby's investigation was um, a lot of the places that checked, I heard the statistics, they found 11 dead bodies, 11 missing people, those cases were cleared. So, you know, looking at it, if we focus on, you know, if we focus on investigations, Daniel Robinson, remember how I had mentioned that they found bones of other people out mm-hmm. there? That's the same thing, where this is getting traction of finding possibly missing people who were not white, and were, women, girls, and whatever. Just to put it out there, FBI thing, there was a statistics that by, I think it was by FBI, that there, at any given time in America, there are 300 active serial killers. Active not incarcerated, active. So there are a lot of those serial killers that are still yet to be caught. We should be more concerned and we should be looking out for people. We should be checking on people that we love. A statement that um, Abigail Echo Hawks said, it's never looked at why indigenous people are targeted and why they are victimized at such a high rate. Of those 90, 4% of the cases that they had looked into Mm -hmm. and they had put in their data and, you know, reported it, not covered by any media outlet. Any of them? Not any of them. And (sighs) Abigail stated that it doesn't mean there weren't videos and that there wasn't a way to actively put it into the media. It means that nobody cared. It means media failed the victims. Abigail said that we should demand equality because indigenous women matter and I feel like that also goes for just people of color in general. That they matter and that they deserve the same 
level of media attention. It's not only that these cases deserve the media coverage, but policies also need to change. There needs to be in, she said that in indigenous communities, there also needs to be programming and interventions to understand that as native women and native people, we aren't at higher risk of going missing and murdered because something is wrong with us. It's that we are at risk because of the inequality in the country that places that is placed on indigenous people, that puts them at a higher risk, where you have those outlets that say that alcoholism is a high thing with indigenous, or that, oh, they must have run away, you know, that they are... You know, a lot of times, you know, I've seen in some cases, like, a black guy would, you know, do something good, but it would be like, an ex can't save someone, you know. Or you could have just mentioned his name. You could have just not mentioned that he was an ex-con. He did his time. He did a good deed. To mention his good deed, you have to mention that he's an ex-con. That's that's the kind of media prejudice that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. I think a great example of media prejudice, especially here that we know of, is when you look at a place like North Omaha, that it's reported all of the game. Yes. Nebraska has gangs, guys. <laughs> anyway, to, to everybody's dismay, yes, we do. Um, the the gang violence, how you know, there's all of this. Like even the near south neighborhood where I live close to, there's still this just like, oh, this such and such person was living in like you know the near south. They have to point it out, like, oh, they were living in a less than ideal area so of course this is common to happen so you have the media reporting all of these negative things about these communities and that's all that people think that also goes into the deeper point um, of social programming and how media socially programs you I have a great example so I live in close to that neighborhood but I still get a lot of their flyers and a lot of their community stuff where they're trying to you know, help the community, get them involved in things, make them aware of all of the things that are going on. But a great thing that Abigail Echo Hawk said is that it will take the entirety of the U.S. to change. And that's something that we hope we can help with, to get people to change, to look at these cases, and to take the time to give them what they deserve and that's the attention that they deserve the ability for these people to get the closure and to have voices again not mansplain we're not saying that you know white people do not deserve justice we just want everybody to get justice regardless of their color the only reason we cover people of color is because we do not think that they have the fair social representation why you gotta call it like every single time you're like i'm trying not to mansplain uh, you know, like sometimes, like the way I cut off, like I feel like I'm mansplaining things, but I'm just trying to give different perspective. I feel but, like it's just reiterating, but you don't necessarily have to be like, oh, I'm not mansplaining, because then people are like, no, but he is mansplaining. But with the same token, if you're out there, we, you matter, your lives matter, we love you, regardless of your color, regardless of your gender, if you're going through. Whatever you're going through, it will pass. Just keep fighting for justice. 
and feel free to share our podcast with your friends and family and if you have any feedback please reach out to us and let's try to make it constructive so we can become better podcasters and if you want to sponsor us we'd love to hear from you also i feel like something that we probably haven't mentioned is that if you have a case or a story that you feel deserves attention please let us know we i i would personally love to research it he doesn't research but i'm i'm, I'm just a pretty face she she's the brain they just of the hear operation your voice. <laughs> i know but you like have the radio voice anyways if you have cases that you want us to look into or you want to bring light to a family member that has gone missing or has faced injustice reach out to us by email understand we might not have a big following you know we might never have a big following but we are gonna try to make the difference at the level we can we all that we are asking for the others to try and hopefully that makes change in the world there was a quote by Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, I'm Indian, so you know, cliche of me to quote that. But be the change that you want to see in the world. Do not hope for the change. Be the change that you want to see in the world. And that's what we're going to do, and that's what we are going to try to live by. Also, um, some of the organizations that were mentioned in this podcast um, will be linked to on the blog post, yeah. just so you can have those resources available to you. Especially if you have experienced somebody in your life gone missing. You can reach out to those resources and hopefully they can be able to help you the way that they have helped other people. We love you and we're going to try to make these podcasts consistent. And if there's a more need, we're going to do more than one podcast a week. We love you. Have a good one. Thank you.